The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. If you will join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, we're just going to jump into it today. We're in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. If you're joining us online, thank you for being with us. And uh, we are going to read just verses 14 through 16 today. We are in the uh, study of the book of Hebrews. We will have finished four chapters by the end of today. And I'll say it once, I'll say it again. Some of you might uh, be young today and have grandkids by the time we get out of this book. Amen? But we will get there, and we will get there soon enough. But I want to just read to you three verses that we're looking at today as we close out uh, this chapter. Today's sermon title is, We've Always Had Greater Than, Today Greater Than Jesus Is, Greater Than Any Holy Men or Holy Women. Here it is, verses 14 through 16. Hear God's word this morning. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And aren't we grateful for that? Let us then with confidence, verse 16, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You may have been here through most or all of the studies of Hebrews, and I pray they've all been very practical to you. But I pray today that you see Jesus high and lifted up. But I also pray you see the Jesus, the man, the God-man who came down again for you, identified in humanity, and is evermore there to give you mercy and grace in your time of need. And I don't know about you, but that old hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour, is probably the theme of our lives, especially in the last few days, and God knows. But may that be truth in our lives today. Will you bow your heads with me? We'll pray, and then after that, we'll get into our study. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that your son is the great high priest. He's greater, he's superior to everything and anything, Lord. We thank you for that. These are not just words we say to sound good on a Sunday morning. These aren't just words that we preach to, to just do the preaching thing and do the Sunday checklist. Lord, we truly believe these words to the very death of our bodies. For we believe that once we die here, you will take us with you to be in heaven forever. Thank you, Lord. It's all because of Christ. May our churches, may our families, may our individual lives be full of more of Christ than anything else. This is God's will for us, our sanctification. We pray all this today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Maybe may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, this morning, I, I bring this up because we do have or have had recently some babies born in our congregation. And ladies, you know that if you have a doctor, there's, there's two types of doctors. There's a guy doctor and a girl doctor, or a female or a male doctor. And, and many have had a, a male doctor deliver their baby. Uh, many guys, like me, just kind of stood off to the side because it just is weird and we're guys and that's how it is. But there are some male doctors who can, who can deliver babies. And they know what's supposed to happen at childbirth. They know the power to deliver a baby. Uh, but they don't have the ability to feel the pain of what it's like to deliver a child. Right, ladies? Can we agree on that? All the ladies said, amen. He can see a mother struggling. 
but he can't experience it. He can hear the groans and functionally and informationally come to the aid of the suffering mom. He can help through that process. Unless you're like my wife and, and, and didn't take anything that first birth and just, just went after it and, and, and took, it as a, 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 took it as it came. But he can't say to the mother he knows how she feels. Now, some of you had women doctors deliver babies. There was a time and a place that wasn't a time or a place for that, but it's pretty common nowadays. And some of those baby doctors mama, are mamas too. And, and they can do what a male does informationally. They can do what a male does medically. But she can do what the male doctor can also do in terms of labor and delivery. But she can also do something else, can't she? She can empathize with her patient and let that laboring mom know, I've been there, I get it, but guess what? You got to go through it, don't you? The female doctor can do what the male doctor can do, but something more. She can sympathize and understand what it is to be frustrated when the baby's taken its sweet time to come into this world, right? And make you walk around a few times, do a few jumping jacks, you know, whatever you had to do to get it to work. But she can understand the pain, and she can do that more, and she can even understand the angry husband who's right there trying to get this show on the road because he's got things to do, right? <laughs> she can sympathize because she has been there herself. Now, I don't want to take that illustration too far, but I want to remind you today that Jesus is King of Kings, isn't he? He's the Lord of Lords. He is, there's none like him in heaven and on earth. But the great thing about our God is that in the same way, because Jesus Christ is our great high priest, he, he's not only is a doctor that can deliver us spiritually, if you will, but he's also one who's been where we are and can understand what we are going through. Can I just tell you, Muhammad of the Islam has never been through most things. He was rich as rich could be. He had all the wealth and things of this world, but our Savior came. As Psalm 103 says, and Amy will put this up, he said in Psalm 103 through the, the, the psalmist, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I'm grateful that God isn't some faraway God that is just never in touch with his people. You know, there were some kings like that, weren't there? I mean, have you ever heard of Caesar the sympathetic? Or have you ever heard of Putin the merciful? I mean, come on. You get what we're trying to say. But when we talk about God, we know in the, in the person of Christ, he came as a vulnerable infant. He was like us in every way. And he was walking all of our paths. He shared all the experiences and understood every struggle that we faced, yet was without sin. And the same God, he is our high priest. He's our brother. And even it calls us our friend. That is our God. He gets it. And so if you're a sinner today, Jesus will be your sacrifice. And if you are a sinner who's suffering today, he is a sympathetic high priest ready to understand what you're going through. Now, I want you to know this morning what greater miracle there could be than to have a God who's done this for us, to have a God who came to be like us. Some of you are saying, is it Christmas? Didn't we talk about this like four months ago? Yeah, we did. But I want to talk to you about it again because you need it as much as I need it, and our church needs it. Our God gets us. He gets the struggle. It's real. And when we're on that struggle bus of life, Jesus was on the struggle bus of life, yet without sin. Amen? He never sinned. And because of that, he's superior to everyone else. That is what our great, uh, well, I don't know if it's great, but our, our, our great high priest does. But this is the, the big idea for what it's worth, is this this morning. There's no pain of life. There is no anything that the sinless high priest, the Son of God, who's your Savior, does not meet you with heavenly sympathy, with the right mercy, 
and just the right sympathy. What an amazing God he is. Aren't you grateful for that this morning? As you come and hear this message, I want you to know if everything in this life means anything, it means that Christ is worth more. He's worth more than everything in this world. And he is the one, he's the reason we exist. We were created by him, we were created for him, yet he gets the struggle we're in as we do those things for his glory. So never despair, church. Never despair, let's keep going. We can be a part, however small, of his work of redemption in this world. Because I don't know about you, I still look around and think how crazy this world is. But four truths this morning are going to remind us about how superior Jesus is. Four truths this morning about Jesus as our high priest. He is high and lifted up, but he was made low, a little lower than the angels, so he might identify with us. Look, if you get nothing else out of this this morning, I want you to remember your God gets you. He made you. He sees you. He knows you. To use the, verse, uh, use the word of Exodus 2, God saw, he, he heard, and he knows. He's been superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the, the prophets. He's superior to all these things. And now as we come, we see a bridge, a transition section into the next big chapters of the book in chapter 5. But I want you to know, as we get there, Jesus is superior to everything and anyone. And because of that, your life has meaning because he is in charge and he knows how to walk with you in this life. And I don't know about you, but I need all the help I can get. Amen? You can say amen to that because you know me well enough. But I know you well enough, too. And we both can say amen. We need him to walk with us. So this morning, the first truth I want you to see, four truths about Jesus as our high priest, greater than any holy man, is in verse 14. He, first off, is a superior high priest. Now, Pastor, didn't we talk about the high priest in chapter 2 and chapter 3? Oh, we're just getting warmed up, guys. It's like when you talk to someone about their favorite subject and you, you, you note in your mind next time never to ask them about that subject because you know way more about whatever it is than you ever wanted to know. You know what I'm talking about? You, you guys ask me about running. You don't know how much temptation it takes to hold back the floodgates of uh, geeky data that you want to, don't want to know. But I want to remind you as we read verse 14, look at what it says. It says here, since then we have a great high priest, literally a mega high priest. We'll get there in a second. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Who is this high priest? I want to remind you today, we are not in a laboratory in eighth grade science dissecting a frog. Do you get that? You're not doing one of those fetal pigs either. This is the Son of God. There is some mystery here. There is some matchless truths here that as we look at these, I don't want you to say, that's great, that's great, that's great, that's great, that's great. This should lead us to be in awe. That's why, once again, as we enter the resurrection season, you're going to see people say two things. Well, it's just, a, it's just a, a symbol, it's just a great story, and it makes me feel warm and fuzzy in my heart, kind of like a McDonald's burger does for one second before I regret that decision. But Jesus' resurrection, as well as his story of being the Son of God and great high priest, is not just metaphorical. A metaphorical Savior does not save metaphorical real sinners. We need a real Savior that saves my real sin, don't we? And the other thing that happens often around this time of year is we try to prove Jesus' resurrection by every fact, by every, by every factoid, by every historical event, and that has its place. But Christian, I want to remind you as we get ready to dissect this, spiritually speaking, we don't come to Jesus with a scalpel. 
we come to Jesus on our knees, laying flat on our faces, saying, you are God and I am not. And that's where we lay bare. But the bottom line is, is this. Christ is a superior high priest. I, I, why would you not hold fast to him? I mean, for you, to, it's almost like giving up diamonds for dirt or, 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 or buying high and selling low. This is the most intense decision ever. You notice that word there, great. That, that is the word megos, where it's literally, Jesus is a mega high priest. He's a mega savior. For you Nintendo school gamer fans, there's a game called Mega Man, where he's bigger than the average man. It's the same word. He is superior to anyone and everyone. No one is going to cut their own deal. He is the only high priest between us and God. No Catholic priest, no Baptist pastor, no Episcopalian priest, no shaman can take you there. Yet God knew one person could represent his people before all other people. That's why it says he is the superior high priest. And you notice there that it says he is the greater superior high priest who passed through the heavens. This Jesus didn't just come up out of nowhere. He came down from somewhere. And where was that somewhere? It was literally heaven itself. He condescended down to us. In fact, he came down to us as God, but enfleshed himself as man. And Jesus would do what the high priest, Jesus did once and for all, what the high priest would do once a year. You know this story, don't you? Once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of what? Holies. And this may or may not be true, but the best we understand it probably is, the, the tradition is, is that they used to tie a rope around the priest. You remember this? They'd tie a rope around the priest and they put on bells like, like a reindeer so they could hear him walk around in there. If after a while you didn't hear those bells, they would probably say, all right, time to pull him out. Woo, woo, woo. And they'd pull him out, not alive, but probably dead. Because that high priest was supposed to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. It was all symbolic. We know from Hebrews 2 and 3 that those sacrifices never took away sin. They were merely symbolic. But also in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And in there was those broken Ten Commandments. Do you remember those? Moses got a little uh, uh, WWE on those things and got angry and went after it, and he broke them. But God looked down on the Holy of Holies, and he would not see a broken law. All he would see is a, a blood covering. And he would not see the broken law, but the blood covering of whatever sacrifice it was. And all of that work by a, a human high priest, of course, was pointing to the greater sacrifice, wasn't it, of Jesus Christ. All of this was foreshadowing that when he went to Golgotha, when he was raised up on that cross, and, and, and he said those fateful words of John 19.30, it is finished. Not I am finished, it is finished. Sin is done, it's eradicated. Stop trying to work your way to heaven. Come through me. And he represented us before God. He had passed through the heavens, but now he's representing us before God. And when he went to the cross and shed his blood, he did that for his own glory. And that word atonement, you know what that word means, don't you? It means a covering. Atonement means covering. And as he says here in verse 14 that he passed through the heavens, what he's literally implying is that Heaven came down to us. Heaven, in the form, in the person of Christ, came to us and covered our sin. And that is what he came to do. When you put your faith in Christ, God doesn't see the broken law. All he sees is the blood of Jesus. If you're a sinner in here, would you say amen? Aren't you grateful every time that happens in your life? That God doesn't look at you and say, try harder, do better, be more sincere. He says, I want your heart. 
you need to seek my forgiveness, but I've covered you from the top of your head to the bottom of your foot. And if you're not a Christian here today, maybe you're listening online or later, but either your sins are covered in Christ or they're judged in Christ. He says, as, as he says this, he passed through the heavens. He was the perfect sacrifice. The high priest had to come during Yom Kippur, and he continued to do the work once a year, but Jesus continues to intercede for us every day of every year. And you notice that phrase, don't you? Who is Jesus? He's the son of God. So many people will come to you and say, Jesus never said he was the son of God. Oh, really? That's why they tried to stone him every time they got a chance. That's why they tried to get him under wraps because they, you being a man, claimed to be God. You remember when he was on trial, what they tried him for? You remember this? That you, a mere man, claimed to be God. And Jesus said what? It is as you say. Jesus didn't have to come out and say, I'm the son of God. He said it multiple times. They got the meaning. I can be, remember being in Eaton Hall in the summer of 2003 after the tornado ripped through Liberty and William Jewell and all that time. And Calvin Strotter, one of the uh, men I worked with, he's long since passed away. He looked at me mad as he was a football player and I was a cross country guy and I wanted to run out of the room, but he was at the door and I was by the window three stories up. He looked at me sitting on a bed. He said, you cannot tell me Jesus is the son of God. He never said it. And until he says it, I don't believe it. He was mad. Veins popping whole thing. I'm not trying to oversell you. Literal. We went through that summer and talked about John chapter 10. As far as I know, Calvin never came to Christ. He died in a boating accident in Texas many years ago. It's a sad story. But I remember that very clearly because he looked at me and said, Jesus never said he was the son of God. If he said he was the son of God, then I would believe it. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, God doesn't need to give you any more signs or wonders or truths. What you see there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he is the son of God. He's not a lesser God. He's not a demigod. He's not a God of our imagination. He is the son of God. What does that mean? He had to be fully man. He had a high, he had to be, the, the high priest was chosen from folks who represented God once a year, that this Jesus had to come as a man because God cannot die. He had to become the God man. That is that according to the other side, he had to be the son of God. That's his divine name. If he'd only been a man, his death would have meant nothing. But because he was God, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, his death was an infinite value for all those who call upon him. Look, so many want to go back to, to, to the Old Testament, and so many want to go back to wh the way things were, but the writer of Hebrews says, no, I am showing you the great high priest. Amy, I'll put this up as we, you, you're looking at your screen and, and the notes. And because of this, I want you to know that if our Savior, the Son of God, can save your salvation, can I just get really practical with you as we transition to point number two? is that Jesus is greater than any storm you are sailing through right now. In fact, what is about to be over your head is already under his feet. That started with your salvation. But the most important thing you need to know is that he not only secures your salvation, but he also knows every step, everything, every opportunity that you are facing and the hardships you have, and he is there to walk with you. What a God we serve. 
Jesus is greater than any storm you're sailing through, and what he is about, what is about to be over your head is already under your feet, his feet. But by extension, yours, because you are serving alongside of him. The encouragement of Christ is far greater than any discouragement we feel, and the love of Jesus far exceeds any loss we face. I want to take off my pastor hat for a minute. We had a tough day in our house yesterday. We had a really tough day with a situation with one of ours that many of you know has some some special circumstances. It was a tough day, and we felt it. We're still feeling it even today. But I want to tell you, I wrote that sentence back on Monday or Tuesday. I do most of my prep Monday or Tuesday, so don't answer your phone call Monday. Call me Monday, whatever. Usually what I'm working on or doing. As I reread that today, I had to shed a few tears because I went over my notes again yesterday, and I know it's there. I know it's coming. We printed the bulletins on Thursday or Friday. But I want you to know this would not be possible unless we had a high priest who went to, through the heavens for us and did all that he did. Amen? God is so good. Let's go to number two. We have a sympathetic high priest. We have a sympathetic high priest. Look at verse 15, the first part of it. He says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus, you know, some people say, well, God is just so far from me. If he's real, why doesn't he just show up? Why don't he just pop in here and walk down the aisle at Tower View and make himself known? I mean, why? I can't relate to a God like that. Well, I want you to know again what it says. We do not have a high priest who does not, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Notice the double negative there. It says, he, we do not, and who is unable. That double negative makes a very emphatic supernatural positive. In other words, we do not have is we do. We do have a high priest. We do have one who's passed through the heavens. And Jesus isn't far removed from this world that we can't call upon him. Sometimes it does feel that way, doesn't it, when you pray or when you seek God that your prayers hit the ceiling, as they say, and bounce right back down. Now, depending on where you're at, that could be the heavens up to the skies, or it could be a wood paneling in your house. But you get the point. You pray, God, where are you? Silence. And it's nothing. But we have one who can sympathize. That is, his heart is touched. He's come into this bloody, filthy world, and he knows what temptation is, and he fought it all, yet without sin. And now he sits at the right hand of God. I, I just want to give you some examples for a second. The examples of how compassionate our God is. And Christians, can I tell you something? Sometimes we're really not compassionate. I'm just going to be completely honest. We love the truth, don't we? We love the truth. And we should love the truth because God's word is truth. But sometimes we are the most compassionless people the world has ever known. And I say that pointing all ten fingers at myself. How is Christ compassionate. In John 8, and I do believe this is part of Scripture, in John 8, the woman in adultery, what did he say after they all dropped their stuff? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because she had an incurable disease, Jesus is watching, walking through the crowd, and you can imagine the scene, hundreds of hands are touching him, and he said, who touched me? And the disciples would say what you said. Well, Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? I mean, come on, Jesus. This isn't a rocket science here. Everybody's touching you. And he said, the scripture says, and the power of Christ went out to her because by faith he had healed her. How about Zacchaeus, that wee little man 
And a wee little man was he who climbed up the what? The sycamore tree. It all rhymes. That's how you remember it. He said to Zacchaeus, that great sinner, come down. I must sup with you. I must dine with you. He, and they kept mumbling to him. He's a friend of sinners. He's eating with sinners. Whoa, 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 whoa. But aren't you glad he's a friend of sinners, church? Luke 15, 2 says, they grumbled that this man receives sinners and eat with, eats with them. Then he gave him three parables. The shepherd who went to find the one sheep, the woman who found the lost coin and celebrated, and of course, the one you all know well, the prodigal son, who received back his son after he had ran away and done all sorts of crazy things. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came for the sick, not the well. He had compassions on the crowd. He wept at Lazarus's tomb. Matthew 9, 36 says he felt compassion for them, for they were sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever heard anyone called a sympathetic senator or a sympathetic president or a sympathetic Roman guard? No, you haven't, at least not very well known. We have a sympathetic sovereign who receives sinners to himself. And Amy will put this up. This is why coming to church, one of the many reasons coming to church is more than being a warm bottom on a seat or a number on a roll that we keep track of. It's because you need to know that in times of trouble, Sunday worship is designed to remind you that you have this high priest, that he sympathizes with your frailty, and he meets us with mercy and grace in our time of need. You need to know that. Look, God knows things we don't know, and he sees things we don't see, and he has planned them out so we could not scarcely imagine what they will be. And I apologize. I realize I usually underline the words on your blanks. So if you're really playing word search this morning, I apologize for that. I just noticed that. But you'll get there. By the grace of God, you will. But friends, you need to know that. You know, sometimes in the pastorate, we get people who, who don't darken the door of the church, and we love all people who come whenever they come. But I want you to know that the greatest thing about being faithful in church is, is that when your life hits the fan, you have people who you don't have to feel awkward telling what hit the fan because they already know you, or at least part of you. And even if they don't know the whole story, at least they know you in part, and they love you where you are. That's why, and I'll say it again, we have a sympathetic high priest. Do you know what the greatest book, I would argue, outside of the Bible you should be looking at, and we're going to get a new one coming out soon, is your membership directory. If you're on the Facebook group, every night, about 6.30 or 7, Bless Diane. I know she, I see that like. Almost, she's faithfully liked that post, and I love it because I know what that means. And it says on there every night about three or four last names and families that we pray for. We pray for each other daily. And if you're of the A's, we pray for you in the first of the month and the Z's, and we try and text you, hey, we're praying for you because we want you to know what happens here on Sunday goes out to you in the week. Because our Savior was sympathetic with us, we want to bear each other's burdens outside of this time frame. And that's what it's about as a church family. He was a sympathetic high priest. He gets you. Exodus 2, he sees, he knows, he cares. But not only was he superior and sympathetic, notice number three, and this is a small point, but look at the end of verse 15. He is sympathetic, but he's also one who is sinless. He's the number three, the sinless high priest, the sinless high priest. You notice there in that phrase, it says in verse 15, but one in every respect, who's been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If he is with sin, he can't save you. If he is with sin, everything he did means nothing. Look, Jesus completely, perfectly resisted temptation. You and I, we try 
people doing New Year's resolutions? Is that still a thing three months and two days on? Anybody? I think that stopped like January. Thank you, Diana. I see you. And you would be one who would in a good way. But most people, after the first week of trying to say no to that extra cookie at night, decided that extra cookie was probably worth the extra calories that brought with it. Amen? You know that. We can't even fight temptation at the buffet line. And yet we think we can fight temptation sometimes without the strength of Christ, spiritually speaking. The spiritual truth is, is that we try hard. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to get angry again. I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. And we try. But the harder it gets, the more we fail. The harder it gets, the more we give in. But I'm grateful that Jesus resisted every temptation that came his way. Does that mean that he's seen every temptation known to man? As God, he knows it. He sees every sin. He sees everything that happens. But as a man, that doesn't mean that, that perhaps that he felt, and I'm going to use a very modern example. This doesn't mean that Jesus felt the temptation to be in an orientation with the same sex as some people have posited that Jesus did. We're not saying that Jesus had every temptation known to man thrown at him. What we are saying is that whatever temptations he faced, he went through perfectly. Do you see that difference? Jesus faced what he faced, but he did so perfectly. Well, but if he hasn't gone through every temptation I have, how can he sympathize with me? He can because he's God. and he gets, Even one temptation is enough for him to get where you are. Even the best thing I can do for my family, for this church, for myself, is tainted with sin. Jesus did the best thing for us perfectly, and it never had sin in it. That's why he says, I am the great high priest. He had to be sinless. He had to become sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.20. He had to purge our sins. He had to bear our sins. But what does all this mean? I want to get very practical for a second. Amy, if you want to put this up. Because our Savior was sinless, we have salvation. But let's get down to where it really matters. I pray what people say about our church, and I, I, you could fill this blank with any church, is that sin is not safe there, but sinners are. Take 10 seconds and think about that if you've checked out. Sin is not safe there, but sinners are. So, Pastor, you're saying that we should just open the door to anyone who wants to join the church, anyone who wants to serve in a position, anyone who wants... Nope, didn't say that. Can you imagine what it would have been like when you were not a Christian if someone had said to you what they said to Gandhi when he walked in? It's, it's a proverbial story. There might be some truth mixed in here, but you know the good story, don't you? I've shared it before, but Gandhi, that great Indian political activist guy from years gone by, read the Bible all night one night, and he was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God, and all the Hindu gods were wrong. And he showed up at a white church, British-run church at that point, and the, the greeter at the door said, what are you doing here? I've come to learn more about Jesus Christ. He said, go worship with your own people. And Gandhi said a phrase which is original to him, the story may or may not be totally true in detail, but he said the phrase, I love your Jesus, but I hate your Christians. 
I pray this church, because we have a superior high priest who takes anyone who calls upon him by faith, who is sympathetic to all of us in our weaknesses and knows where we are and is sinless in his approach to us, that is imperfect sinners, that if someone comes in here with garbage and baggage in their life, and I'm not just talking drugs and alcohol and addictions, that's what we usually think of, but maybe their marriage ain't right. Maybe their kids ain't right. Maybe they ain't right, right? That's probably more of the case, that we have compassion and we show it here. Sin is not safe here. We don't celebrate it. We don't promote it. We don't put it out on Facebook. Look at this great sin that somebody did. No. What a slap in the face to our great high priest. But that everyone who walks through our doors, and if you're visiting, I pray you have felt this, feels the compassion of Christ because we too have been touched by that same Christ. We have lines for membership. We have lines for serving. We do all those things. But grace does not make sin safe, but grace does make sinners safe. It is a job of every church member to make sure that our place is a place where sin is not okay, but sinners are. And can I even dig down a little bit deeper? You need to pray for churches still in places around America. I'm not just talking about the southeast and the deep south where the scholar of your skin can keep you from the door of where everyone else is. How many young pastors have I heard tell me I serve in the deep south and they want to reach those people, but when those people come to their church, pastor, you got to go because we don't like them people around here. Friends, I pray that everyone who walks in this door receives the truth of Christ first and foremost, right? but the grace of Christ as well. I hope you see that fine line where we walk both of those truths. Last point is this. He's a superior high priest. He's a sympathetic high priest. He's a sinless high priest. Grab your Bibles, last verse. He is a saving high priest. Teresa, I amen, agree. Teresa and I have been working on our vocalizations, and I love it. Teresa, he is a saving high priest. Verse 16, he says this. Let us then with confidence, notice that word, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Remember the picture. Don't get lost in the details. There were people in their midst who said Jesus is not enough. There were people in their midst that wanted to go back to the Old Testament law. Oh, life was so much easier in Egypt than it is out here in the desert. We at least had food, but yeah, buddy, you were a slave then. That's not a good life. There were people who said, I I just want to do my own thing, but Jesus wants all of me. What he is telling them now is because he's superior, because he's sympathetic, because he's sinless, you can walk with confidence. Not confidence because you're better than other people, confidence because God has accepted you and he's not letting you go. Let us draw near. Let's visit him. Let's come before him. He will no wise cast you out. If you will come and throw yourself on his mercy, he will receive you. Oh, if most churches would do that. He says, draw near. This is not at a distance. It isn't take a number. Or if if you've been to the DMV in recent years, get a smartphone app so you can skip the line at the Liberty DMV if you've ever been there before. It'll literally bleed your life away. But you come with confidence because he is a friend of sinners and the gates of paradise are wide open. Narrow is the gate. Jesus is the way. But all those who call upon the name of the Lord have confidence that they are forgiven and they are free from their sin. And he says the throne of grace. Notice it doesn't say the throne of judgment. Did you notice that there? It doesn't say the throne of attrition. It doesn't say the throne of 
thunderbolts and lightning flashes, you approach the throne of grace. Well, pastor, doesn't Revelation 20 say, or Revelation say that, you know, the throne and there's all, yes, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a time and a place for that. But until Christ returns or you are dead, there's a throne of grace. Now, there's a big throne of grace. There's a mega throne, literally in Revelation 20, verse 11. But we find grace. We find acceptance through Jesus Christ. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. I mean, could you ever drain all of God's mercy? Have you ever thought about that? I challenge you, if you take a vacation this year to the ocean, to take a stroll and start slurping up all the water you can. Before you spit it out, but the bad, nasty taste you get when you do that, you need to think about how much slurping it would take for you to slurp up all the ocean. You literally would, I don't know what the medical term is for that, you drown yourself to death before you got, you'd have a lot of water weight, and you don't need any uh, Lasix to help you. You just, you'd be dead at that point, right? It is what it is. I want you to know God's grace is infinite, guys. And Christian, if you think you have sinned so bad that you cannot go back to him, then you are not thinking of the biblical God. You're thinking of Satan's lie about who God is. What will you find there? Look at the end of verse 13, 16, excuse me. We will receive mercy and find grace. Christian, you will receive mercy and find grace. So many people, when they come to Christ, they feel the judgment of God upon their souls. And let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, you should. Before the good news makes sense, the bad news has to weigh heavy on your heart and on your soul. You have to know you're a cancer patient, and I come into you and say, "Woo! congratulations, you have cancer, and you're going to die someday. Yeah, whoa! If you're a husband, you can go all Will Smith on that doctor all you want because that, the, that guy's about as big as quack at whatever medicine he's going to sell you to cure you. If you have a doctor who cares for you, what is he going to say? He's going to get eye to eye with you. He may not have the best bedside manner, but he's going to tell you the truth. Sir, you have cancer, and it's terrible. And I want to tell you, there's an opportunity to do some medications that might help you. But I want you to know we're hopeful, but we don't know. And when you level with someone about Jesus Christ, you need to remind them that, look, you have a cancer, and it's called sin. And the truth is, you're not going to recover from that. But the greater truth is, is there is a substitute, and there is a cure, and his name is Jesus. To tell you that even though you sinned against him, he gave you a greater medicine for your ailment. He gave you himself. He's a saving high priest. Notice that phrase there at the end, in time of need. Your greatest time of need, Christian, was when you did not know Jesus. But let me tell you, this is why we tell you often, repeat, preach, pray, sing, run the gospel through your head time and time again because you're going to look at your life and yourself and say, I'm here again, Lord, and you need to remind yourself that you can come confidently because he's a saving high priest. And he gave his life for you and me. And he's not going to throw you away like some garbage, like some people do babies and whatever else. He's going to take you in again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And when that happens, he's going to take you again and again and again and again and again. What an awesome God we serve. There's not one drop, Amy, I know. There's not, I see her back there the last day. I forgot to go. There's not one drop of saving grace outside of Jesus Christ. 
he has the exclusive monopoly on all grace. Christian, today, I pray you get this one thing. You just bask in your Savior today for who he is and what he's done for you. If you are not a Christian here today, that is the bad news. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nothing good in you. You can't try hard enough. Don't even go there. Jesus died in vain if you think you have any part of getting to heaven and being forgiven of your sins. The good news is is that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And church, as long as this pulpit is here, that is the message we're going to pound from it no matter who steps behind it. Christ is superior, he's sympathetic, he's sinless, and he's saving. Will you bow your heads with me? And we'll close out today. Fathers, we come to you. We thank you that you not only, Lord, sent your son to live among us, to, as it were, in the mystery that is the God-man, to understand us, to be tempted as we were, as we are, yet without sin, yet retaining always the deity, the divinity, all the attributes and character and traits, Father, of being God, that, Lord, your Son did not die in vain, that he died for real sinners. He, he, he raised a real resurrection life. It's not just something that we talk about or point to like a McDonald's M over a McDonald's sign. Everything this Savior did for us really impacts us because he really cares for us and he really loves us. Fathers, we continue this journey through Hebrews when there's going to be some really tough words ahead, and there have been tough words. I pray we always look up, as did John in Revelation 20, to see a little higher, to see the throne that is seated above. Yes, Lord, a throne that will one day dispense judgment but as it is now a throne that is filled with grace upon grace upon grace, not cheap grace, not license to go run amok and do whatever you want grace, but grace that costs, Father, you, your very son on that tree so that we too might live again. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that we might continue to be a hospital for sinners, as the old dead guys would say, a place that is not a pristine museum of saints, but a hospital for real sinners. Forgive us, Lord, if in times past or in times future or present that we have forgotten that truth. All are welcome here. May they hear how they may be saved. May they be wrapped in the love of Christ. May they be pointed away from their sin. And may they grow in the holiness and sanctification of Christ. Father, as you have called us to be. As we sing this last song, we ask it in Jesus' name.